Good morning, and welcome to Monday Mornings. With Maddie and Morgan. I'm Maddie. And I'm Morgan. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Heyo. How are you? I'm pretty good. We're actually recording on a Monday this week. I know. (laughs) I don't even know if we've ever recorded on a Monday. I feel like we may have, like, by accident once. (laughs) But, well, happy Monday. I hope you had a good day. Yeah, it was really sunny out, and then it got really dark and gloomy, so... Yeah, it's really rainy here. Oof. Not into it. Well, what are we talking about this week, Mark? (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to tell you guys. So, a couple weeks ago, (laughs) I discovered on Wikipedia that there's a little button that says random article. Yeah. And you can click on it, and it obviously will bring up a random article. <laughs> so, originally, we were just going to do, like, we each just clicked it, and whatever we got, we got. And then we even pu- bumped it up to, like, three clicks, and we were like, all right, just find something you can talk about, because yeah. some of them are really bizarre. <laughs> Half of them were just, like, random towns, or, like, villages, or, like people or like very specific youth hockey tournaments in like foreign countries or like just a short descriptor of an object it was very interesting so today's a mixed bag i don't know what maddie's talking about yeah because i changed my idea last minute because i didn't really love the one i had but i'd imagine this is going to be kind of a brief episode because mine's not super long either yeah neither is mine you'll learn some random stuff yeah here for so do you want to go first or do you want me to go first it doesn't matter to me all right i can go then cool so this week for my random wikipedia page i stumbled across the page for naturism or naturism do you know what this is i do (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) (laughs) so Naturism is a practice of nudity in social and non-sexual settings. It cracks me up because it totally sounds like it's going to be like some branch of um, conservationism or something like that. Yeah, so there (laughs) is like, I clicked on like the other links for like other forms of naturism. And uh, there is like a more of like a religious version of it that is like about like... uh, like worshiping nature and like being one it one with nature and they do kind of say that a little bit that like naturism in like nudism kind of situation is very like oh you're doing it to connect with nature and also like not purchasing clothing is better for the environment than purchasing clothing so true <laughs> so naturism is not the same as nudism Um, In some countries, like in America, we can call it either one or like nudist, naturist, like people don't really care. But in other countries, it's kind of frowned upon to be a nudist. But naturist is fine. So naturism emphasizes respect for the environment and aims for living in harmony with nature, while nudism is essentially just the practice of nudity. In 1974, the Congress for the International Naturist Federation, or INF, defined (laughs) naturism as a, quote, a way of life in, hold on, I can't read right now, sorry. 
quote, a way of life in harmony with nature characterized by the practice of communal nudity with the intention of encouraging self-respect, respect for others, and for the environment, end quote. Which, not gonna lie, that all sounds pretty nice. <laughs> that does sound quite lovely. Like, just living and being respectful to yourself, others, and the environment, that's nice. But yeah. it's also very important to note that the majority of naturists and naturist organizations are adamant that their practice of social nudity not be linked with sexual activity so this is a very like family-friendly practice this isn't like i don't really talk about it much but i talk about like different magazines associated with naturism at the end and they talk about how like most of these things don't involve photos of actual naked people Mm -hmm. or like because they don't want it to be seen as, like, kind of, like, a nudie mag or, like, a playboy type of thing. Like, it's not for those, like, sexual purposes. When it comes to the history of this lifestyle, there are examples of social nudity throughout all cultures and times. Think public baths and saunas. But today, in Western culture, you can see some of this, but it's usually when it comes to swimming or, like, the locker room at gyms, basically anywhere it's seen as socially acceptable to be naked in public or around other people. And that's just, like, ways, like, we would stumble upon, like, nudism in, like, today's, like, Western world is, like, if you're at the gym, you go to the locker room, there's always a naked old lady. Always. (laughs) I have a fun fact. Yeah. (laughs) So... Ben Franklin, every morning, used to take air baths. Oh. Which means he just, like, sat around lounging naked. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, like, a few ta- uh, points where they talk about air bathing in this, and I really love it. <laughs> ben Franklin was a huge proponent. <laughs> I learned that from um, the Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week podcast. Oh, my God. There's so many weird Ben Franklin ones, especially, like, when I talked about uh, grave robbing, and I forget if I mentioned it or not, I'm pretty sure I did, that they found a bunch of, like, remains underneath his house that he had rented, but it found turns out that was actually, like, also the same building that, like, some autopsy tech or somebody lived in. Like, uh. <laughs> big weird things, but... He was quite a weirdo. But... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love to see it. So, anyways... The first known use of the word naturism was in 1778 by Jean-Baptiste Luc Planchon. Wow. <laughs> he used the word to show nudity as a way of healthy living. In 1891, the Fellowship of the Naked Trust <laughs> I <love that. laughs> was created by Charles Edward Gordon Crawford, which, like, why do all of these guys have wicked long names? <laughs> And, like, 12 names. (laughs) Yeah, but I love the Fellowship of the Naked Trust. Um, This was thought to be one of the earliest Western naturist clubs. Richard Ungewitcher in the early 1900s proposed that, quote, combining physical fitness, sunlight, and fresh air bathing, and then adding (laughs) nudist philosophy, contributed to mental and psychological fitness, good health, and improved moral life view. Amazing. Nice. So there was two French brothers who were also physicians, Gaston and André Duvie. They decided that they were going to study the effects of psychology, nutrition, and environment on health and well-being and healing. 
They were soon convinced that clean air and a natural environment with natural foods and sunlight on human bodies was essential for a person's health and well-being. They decided to call this concept naturism. So it just keeps getting reinvented by the same different people all over the place. Right. (laughs) Uh, Naturism began to spread throughout Europe in the 1920s and eventually established itself in the U.S. about 10 years later. Today, there are naturist places and facilities all over the world. Some current-day naturists only practice at events at some private clubs, beaches, or even only in their own homes. But overall, people are allowed to practice however they please. When it comes to these naturist events, clothing tends to be optional. But when it comes to pools and beaches or, like, areas for sunbathing, full nudity might be, like, completely expected of you. Right. I feel like that would be super, that would feel super awkward if you showed up to a naturist or nudist event, like, in a full outfit. (laughs) Yeah, so a lot of times it's just, like, somebody will come with, like, a shawl or, like, a type of, like, poncho thing. Gotcha. Um, They talk about a lot about, like, being nude or partially nude a lot, especially because, like, sometimes it's weather permitting. Like, it might be a little chilly. (laughs) I would walk around in a comfy Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I love my comfy so much. <laughs> there are also a few classifications of naturist clubs. So there are landed or members clubs that have their own facility and they're run by members or a small group of owners. They also get to set membership criteria. So like who gets to join? Like obviously these things are not like heavily vetted, but I talk about it in a little bit. Um, like Not everybody can just, like, show up at these things. (laughs) Then there's non-landed or travel clubs. These tend to meet up at locations such as pools, hot springs, landed clubs clubs and resorts, private residences, or rented facilities. Travel clubs basically practice anywhere but do not have a permanent place that they consistently meet at. And the next type is a holiday center. These are facilities that provide apartments, chalets, or campgrounds, like, Think like basically a resort type of situation, but like of all different varieties. Um, the centers are not run by members and usually require guests to have an INF member card or prove that they belong to a type of like naturist group, which <laughs> again makes sense. Like at first I was like, oh, that's kind of like gatekeeping, like that's a little rude, but it's really you just want to make sure that these people are there for the right reasons like right you don't want super creeps showing up to you and like some of these events like kids are allowed at and like kids are there because like some of these like families will practice this and so like Mm -hmm. you don't want like a pedophile rolling up and being like oh yeah i'm here for like my own personal like no gross so Larger centers tend to have swimming pools, soccer fields, restaurants, kids centers, and even supermarkets. Ew. Yeah, which is, like, very interesting. I like that one. Um, <laughs> Too close to my produce. Yeah. I think definitely, like, maybe just wear pants, at least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, these centers are a bit more lax with allowing clothing and situations. So, like, swimming pools are still usually expected full nudity, but rarely required if you're, like, on a soccer field or sport field or if you're like in a restaurant they said that like most people like at the resort restaurants at night tend to actually have some clothes on (laughs) 
Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and also, do not worry, because all of the people who work at these clubs and resorts and centers are fully clothed. Because of, like, food safety. <laughs> Excellent. So, no naked chefs. <laughs> yeah, there's no naked chefs getting splattered with hot oil, and your waiter isn't coming <laughs> over, and you're going to end up with, like, pubes in your sandwich. <laughs> Sounds like a safety issue. <laughs> yeah, so th- you're safe with, like, eating there, don't worry. <laughs> And obviously, we can't talk about naturism without talking about nude beaches. So, nude beaches are a lot more common in Europe and other, like, all the European countries than they are in the U.S., but there are still some sections or private beaches where clothing is optional in the U.S. In Denmark, all beaches are clothing optional, and Sweden also allows nudity on any and all beaches. In Germany, France, and Barcelona, there are naturist sunbathing areas as well as select clothing optional beaches. And, I mean, just in general, there's a lot of different places that have, like, oh, this section of this private beach is, like, clothing optional. But Mm -hmm. still, it's just kind of like a, oh, like, that ends at the flags. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's not really, like, a great boundary. It's like Uh, an arbitrary barrier. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, like, so there are also a few festivals where large groups of people practice naturism. So, like, Woodstock was one of them. Uh, There's that that naked bike race. Yes, there's that. And then there's, like, a whole bunch of different things. And then there's also, like, Burning Man. People are always naked and, like, weird things. But in the late 70s at Nambasa, which is a hippie festival in New Zealand, about mm-hmm. 35% of the 75,000 attendees chose to participate in complete or partial nudity. So that's, that's a little... Naked people. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a little over 26,000 people. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Hey, whatever, whatever floats your boat. I was just shocked that there was this many people in attendance at this festival. But... <laughs> Uh, There's also a lot of people that practice naturism seasonally. So practicing nudity in the warmer parts of the year is a lot more common. And there's a lot more like festivals and festivities around it. But there are also a lot of people who do practice just in the warmer months and will wear clothes during the rest of the year. You mean they're not out shoveling snow (laughs) naked? No, no, that would be extremely dangerous and is probably uh, frowned upon even in naturist societies. (laughs) I would assume so as well. (laughs) Probably like, yeah, you can be naked inside of your own home in the winter and like your friend's houses and whatever, but like, please shovel with pants on. (laughs) (laughs) So lastly, just wanted to talk about a few naturist magazines. These magazines can be broken down into two categories, those published by official or national organizations and independent magazines. So the official magazines come from organizations such as British Naturism, and that is BN Magazine. It's Going Natural or Au Natural from FCN or FQN, which I think is a French or Canadian subgroup. Nude and Natural magazine from the Naturist Society and Go Natural by the New Zealand Naturist Federation. Independent magazines include Naturally H&E Naturist and Tan or The Australian Naturist. 
And these are all great for getting the word about naturism out and keeping current members up to date on current news and events. But also, like, they really don't, like, involve pictures of people because that's, like, icky. And, like, there are some documentaries about naturism and nudism and all that. Um, There's actually, hold on, I have to look up what it's called. Um, oh, it's called Worn Stories on Netflix. I think it's the first episode is about people who live as naturists or, like, partially nude. That keeps coming up on my suggested. I haven't watched it. but I think I watched part of the first episode, but then I wasn't really in the mood for that and put on, like, iCarly or something else instead. <laughs> but it's definitely on my list of things to watch, so it seems pretty cool. But, yeah. Hope everyone learned a little bit about uh, naturists and naturism. And <laughs> yeah, now you know where to go on vacation next. Yeah. Oh, I also forgot to mention it. Hold on. Let me get to it. So there's also a sect of Christianity that is called Christian naturism. And this is like not a super common part, but it's a group of people that believe that um, Adam and Eve didn't get dispelled from the Garden of Eden for her eating a fruit. It was actually because (laughs) God was displeased with Adam and Eve for covering their body with fig leaves and not living naked. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) That's a fun twist. Yeah. Alrighty, so it took me a lot of clicking to find something that was actually writable. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That wouldn't bore you to tears. (laughs) So, (laughs) I know I've mentioned this before, but Maddie and I both kind of have an affection for ancient history, which obviously includes ancient Egypt. So, as I clicked... Anyone wants to send us to Egypt. (laughs) True. Well, it's kind of... It's kind of dangerous there. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll go anyway. Anyway. (laughs) So as I click continuously on the random article button, Sphinx, Sphinx, Sphinx popped up. (laughs) Sphinx. (laughs) This is going to be a tough article, or a tough one, because that that SF sound is hard. (laughs) Yeah. But, so I'm going to be talking about the Sphinx. And not the, like, naked mole rat looking cat creature. (laughs) Those scare me a lot. I'm sorry if anybody likes them, but... They're inside out. They're creepy. (laughs) Yeah. So, anyway. A Sphinx is a mythical creature with the head of a human, a falcon, a cat, or a sheep... And the body of a lion with the wings of a falcon. Oh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the exact configuration of a sphinx seems to be dependent on the culture of the myth, as expected with most mythological creatures. Yeah. The word sphinx comes from the Greek meaning to squeeze or to tighten up. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which kind of makes sense if you think of the word... Uh, Sphincter? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) this this name may be derived from the fact that in A Pride of Lions, the hunters are 
always the lionesses, and they kill their prey by strangulation. So they bite the throat of the prey and then hold it down until they die. However, there are obviously differing opinions like there is on everything. Yeah. But historian Susan Wise Bauer suggests that the word sphinx was instead a Greek corruption of the Egyptian name Sheshkapanka. Oh. (laughs) Which means living image and referred rather to the statue of the sphinx. Which was carved out of living rock, quote, mm. meaning rock that was present at the construction site and not harvested elsewhere and brought to the site. Gotcha. Um, instead of in reference to the beast itself. But, you know, like everything, <laughs> there's 68 different ways that you can <laughs> read about it. Oh, yeah, especially when it's like something this old and historical there's like 17 different versions (laughs) so we're gonna focus mostly on the egyptian and the greek sphinx but i'll talk about a few more towards the end gotcha um first egypt in egypt the sphinx has the head of a man the body of a lion and the wings of a falcon the egyptian image of a sphinx is most commonly associated with the word so like i don't know when i think of a sphinx i usually think of the egyptian one Oh, yeah, same. And, like, most, like, in pop culture, most of the sphinxes that are used are in the Egyptian sense. The sphinx, both in ancient and modern-day Egypt, has become a national emblem and can be seen on stamps, pottery, official documents, and coins. The Great Sphinx of Giza is the most famous and largest sphinx symbol in the world, obviously. I love that sphinx. It's so cool. The Great Sphinx is located on the Giza Plateau, which is next to the Great Pyramids of Giza, which we will definitely cover in another episode because they're really freaking cool and ancient aliens and, you know, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. But (laughs) (laughs) they don't know the exact date that the Great Sphinx was constructed, but there's a general understanding that the head resembles the pharaoh Khafre. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure if that's right, but but that puts the construction date somewhere between 2600 and 2500 BCE. Oof. Old. Way back. Yeah. However, there's, <laughs> once again, a little bit of controversy uh. about this because a small group of geologists has argued that the water erosion in and around the Sphinx indicates that the statue is from much earlier. Yeah. But the general consensus is that there isn't enough evidence to support that, and it's known as the Sphinx water erosion hypothesis. But, like, in all sciences, apparently, especially in archaeology, <laughs> there's drama. <laughs> of course. So that's pretty much it for Egypt. I was expecting to find more, but <laughs> the Great Sphinx is pretty much their iconic symbol of a sphinx and as you know we don't really it's not like greek or roman mythology where we have tons and tons of stories easily available yeah (laughs) you know all right on to greek in greece the sphinx has the head of a woman and the body of a lion and the wings of a bird in the bronze age greeks and egyptians had both trade and cultural contacts 
Therefore, just as with the Greek and Roman empires, cultural elements were shared, adopted, changed, while still maintaining some of the similarities. There's a word that I learned in seventh grade history class that explains that, but I can't remember the name of the word, so. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) I know what you're talking about, but I don't either, so it's okay. Cultural something. It's cultural something. I just can't think of the second part. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's not that important. (laughs) We know that Greek geographers and historians were fascinated with Egypt and wrote extensively about it. So by the time Alexander the Great occupied Egypt, depictions or depictions of human-headed, lion-bodied creatures were already being labeled as sphinxes. Mm. There is also one like figurehead sphinx that shows up in Greek mythology, and she's known as a quote demon of destruction and bad luck. So that's cool. Love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Along with the Greek depiction of the Sphinx comes the lore of the Riddle of the Sphinx. The Riddle of the Sphinx. Yeah. The Sphinx is said to have guarded the entrance to the Greek city of Thebes. Which, this sounds stupid, but every time I think of the city of Thebes, I think of in Hercules. (laughs) When they're in Thebes and it's like a dump. (laughs) (laughs) And all those like... People are complaining about everything. (laughs) Anyway. In later myths, it was said that the goddess Hera, or god Ares, sent the Sphinx from her homeland of Ethiopia to protect Thebes. The Sphinx would ask anyone that wanted access to the city a riddle. And if they answered it correctly, they could enter the city. And if they didn't answer correctly, the Sphinx would strangle and devour them. Yeah, it's pretty chill. Interesting. Older Greek myths didn't actually specify what the riddle was. Mm-hmm. But later in Greek history, it was kind of standardized. In these later myths, the riddle reads, quote, Which creature has one voice and yet becomes four-footed and two-footed and three-footed? End quote. One voice that becomes Four-footed, two-footed, and three-footed. Yeah. Do you have any guesses? Oh my god, I can't think right now, no. (laughs) (laughs) Prominent figure in Greek mythology, Oedipus, of the tragedy Oedipus Rex, was able to answer the Sphinx's riddle by saying, quote, Man, who crawls on all fours as a baby, walks on two feet as an adult, and then uses a walking stick in old age. End quote. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, I thought was kind of a weird answer to that riddle, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird one. Very specific. <laughs> yeah. And so in some other versions of this story, there's a second riddle. Oh. <laughs> and it reads, there are two sisters, one who gives birth to the other, and she in turn gives birth to the first. What? <laughs> who, are the, who are the two sisters? End quote. Any guesses? <laughs> no. <laughs> the answer to that one is day and night. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I read it and I was like, what is this? <laughs> I, was like, I, don't, I don't 
don't know. Like, why are they? Yeah. So, anyway, after Oedipus defeats the Sphinx in her own riddle game, she throws herself from a high rock and dies, which is so dramatic. But, I mean, Oedipus is in a tragedy, so that makes sense. I feel that. (laughs) (laughs) Throw myself from a high rock. (laughs) Some versions do say that Oedipus killed her, and some say that she ate herself. (laughs) (laughs) That's not sure how that works, but whatever. (laughs) Ate herself. Christ. Because of this story, Oedipus is considered a liminal, meaning that he represented the transition between the old religious practices and the, quote, new Olympian gods. Mm-hmm. So that's it for Greece. They clearly have the most information about the Sphinx. Oh, yeah. And just like Egypt, you can find the Sphinx on pottery, on everything. Art. Yeah. All right. Next, I'm going to talk about South and Southeast Asia. Yes. In parts of Asia, the Sphinx is said to have the head of a human and the body of a lion, but throughout the continent, there are about a bajillion different entities based on different cultures that are Sphinx-like. Of course. And that was it, because there was, like, an entire Wikipedia page on, like, like hundreds of different Asian names of these different creatures that were all the same but slightly different. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but I'll put up some pictures because some of them are pretty cool. But the Freemasons also adopted the symbol of the Sphinx as a quote symbol of mystery. Hmm. And it's often placed on the top of Masonic documents as an and an art as Masonic. And as art in Masonic temples. So it's been said that it doesn't actually hold any true like spiritual significance for the Freemasons, but it's more, like I said, a symbol of mystery. Yeah. You know, we secret do... side shit. We'll have to do an episode on Freemasons because I don't know what that is at all. Like, period. <laughs> really? I know of them. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, I mean, I know of them, but I don't know a lot about them. Yeah. But we'll have to look into it. Yeah. There also has been depictions of the Sphinx in Europe. The <laughs> Mannerist art movement produced a Sphinx from the late 15th century, which is often referred to as the French Sphinx. And... She had the body of a lioness and then the head and bust of, like, a very ornately accessorized woman with, like, tons of jewelry. And that image, that mannerist sphinx was used, like, in a lot of different contexts. But there was no, like, folklore or anything associated with it. It was just an art piece. Ah, okay. Yeah. But anyway, this is the part where I wanted to list... Sphinx depictions in pop culture, <laughs> but there are way too many to list here. Oh, so I'm just yeah. gonna mention my personal favorites from childhood. Um, the first one is from Scooby Doo. Where's my money, mummy? <laughs> yes, that's from 2005. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the first. Like, that's my earliest memory of knowing what a sphinx was. It's from that movie. Yeah. I was nine years old. 
same. And also the third book in the Magic Treehouse series called Mummies in the Morning. <laughs> yes, I definitely read that and still own it. <laughs> oh, I used to love those books. They were so cool. They were so good. But yeah, that's all I have for the Sphinx. Sorry if you wanted to hear about naked cats, but that's a story <laughs> for another day. Inside out cats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all this came from Wikipedia. From yeah. that random article. So If you didn't understand by the whole point of the episode, all of our information is from Wikipedia. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a given. <laughs> but anyway, those are kind of fun. I would do that again. Yeah. It's a good way to mix it up. <laughs> Definitely. Especially after uh, last week's uh, dark one. <laughs> True. <laughs> But anyway, stay tuned next Monday and every Monday for new episodes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. We're on Instagram at Monday Mornings Pod, on Twitter at Monday Mornings P, and we have a Facebook page. If you have questions or topics that you'd like to have covered in a future episode, you can DM us on any of those social media platforms, but you can also email us at mondaymorningspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. And I have to apologize because I've had a couple people tell me <laughs> that they tried. They have tried to rate and review us and they haven't gone through. Yeah, I've had that been told to me too. So, so I'm sorry for bullying you if you've tried. But if you <laughs> haven't tried, go try. <laughs> yeah, thank you though. Um, <laughs> but as always, start your Monday mornings the right way with Maddie and Morgan. Bye. Bye.